Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, where we coach you in the Word. As always, we're glad to have you studying the Word of God with us, downloading from around the United States of America, and often downloading internationally. We welcome all of you into our podcast. We would love to hear from you. Today we're going to begin part three, session three, of how do the gifts of the Spirit produce an advantage, and this is going to be a most interesting study. We're going to take off today from Ephesians chapter six and verse 13. Before we do that, I uh, want you to know that you're welcome to contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. And then, as always, don't forget my book, I Surrender. It's in your local bookstore or available on Amazon. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the Word of God beginning in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the word of God is saying to us. Then let us apply it to our lives so that we can be changed in the image of your dear Son. Jesus, we ask you to speak to us. Reveal through the Holy Spirit what we need to know, do understand, and demonstrate. And then we will receive it, release it to your people. Our people then will be corrected, blessed, led, and guided into truth that will make living in this world to be such that we have known that we have been led in to the very best advantage by your word, by the Holy Spirit. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead, amen and amen. Ephesians 6.13, we're talking about how do the gifts of the Spirit produce an advantage? Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Now, I want you to look at that. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, now, as we spoke, concluding our last session, we said man can choose to remain in their human side. They can choose to reject and rebel concerning the things of the Spirit. They can choose to attempt to battle the enemy with their own intellect, if that is how they desire. But man was never oriented to do that. Man was oriented from his creation to have the mind of us or the whole armor of God. Paul called it the mind of Christ. He said this mind of Christ would cause us to not be conformed to this world and this mind would allow us to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now my friend, this is not impossible to do while living under the born-again condition. However, it makes overcoming all of the trials and inroads into your mind very difficult. This is why Paul was so forthcoming on how the devil attacks the believer in the first place. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 and 12, he said, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 
Now this means the avenues that the devil chooses to try to develop as inroads into your mind. The means is plentiful. He uses thoughts, insinuations, ideas, attitudes, and then how you interpret them. He uses other actions, other attitudes, and other words. This is the area that man must bring under control of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, which means that man must have his thinking operating in the mind of Christ or the mind, will, and emotions will lead him off into the things that will take him captive and hold him in bondage. For this purpose, the mind must be guarded. It must be kept. It must be purged. It must be refined. The moment-by-moment care over one's thinking is essential. Paul tells us this in verse 11. Now verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul describes exactly what is going on. It's not a battle, my friend, between what you hear, see, feel, think, what you're experiencing in the natural world. Not a battle of flesh and blood. It's a battle against the demonic forces. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of believe that my human side is not strong enough to do battle with the spiritual side if I try to use my intellect to stand up against demonic forces. Now, these demonic forces have to be repelled. They must be brought under control, and they must be cast down. You do this by living in the mind of Christ. The outcome of this mind expresses the fruit of his presence. Now, with that understanding, we want to look at where the advantage comes in. Since we see how we must guard the mind and from what we must guard the mind, we must move from the condition of the welfare of the mind, which is accomplished by the concentration of grace and the blood, of course, activated by faith. This coordination keeps the soul clear and clean from the attacks of the enemy. Now look at Ephesians 6, 13-18. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. Now think about that. The whole, the complete armor of God. Did you ever consider that Jesus said, Paul said concerning Jesus, that he is the man in the Godhead bodily, he is the head of all principality and power, and you are complete in him? Wherefore, take unto your whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, when? In the evil day. We must consider what pieces and parts there are that make up the armor of God. Surely Paul persuades us to take upon ourselves everything that we possibly can to ensure that we are able, having done all, to stand. Why is that? Because as he has stated, there is a force of evil that is lurking and would desire 
to do the same thing to you that Jesus projected that he would do to Peter, of which he did, sift you as wheat. Only through correct preparation can we stand in the evil day. Now let's see what the pieces of the armor are. I think we're going to find out something interesting. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Well now, truth and righteousness. How do we come upon these two pieces of armor? Well, we get saved. Who executes the work of convincing and convicting, Jesus told us. It would be the Holy Spirit who would bring that reproof. So right off the bat, we see in Paul's armor the work of the Holy Spirit. Now most of us are taught that his work basically is concluded right here. But because it has brought truth and righteousness, exists in the whole of salvation. In other words, we are told that we have all of the Spirit required when we get saved. Now if the articles of protection begin with his work and do not conclude with those articles, then we have to consider that there is a greater and deeper work that must be accomplished as we come into the other articles of protection. Let's look. And your feet shod with the preparation of the, of the gospel of peace. The shodding of the feet with the gospel, you can see it. It's another work. What is that? What does that do? Well, the gospel is what it is. It is the, it, so is it possible that there is more happening in the development of the believer than just the work of the Holy Spirit at conversion? Is it possible that it is mandatory in the preparation, in the covering, and in the protection of the armor of God that a man grow in the understanding of the gospel and allow that gospel to bring him peace? How are you going to do that? Paul's going to show us. The gospel is the message of good news of which every believer should be prepared. He should be prepared to transport upon life's journey the gospel of good news. He should develop and mature, grow in, be equipped by the gospel of good news. He should put upon his feet to have every step every walk, every day's journey covered by the good news of the gospel. This message of the peace of God and peace with God is the capsule of the gospels, the ministry of Jesus and the beginning of the new church. If we don't get the message correct, then we will produce a false message and become a deceiver of the brethren. It is essential that we get the message of the gospel correct because if we're not processing it correctly, being shod upon every step we take, we're going to step into places that is going to cause the gospel to be eaten up, to be dried up, 
and to be forced to never grow into the thing that it was designed to do. When we do that and purport the knowledge of the truth and the knowledge of righteousness then, we become a deceiver and shed a message that deceives the brethren. So before you go and do anything for Christ, you must produce the message correctly. Herein is the issue. We have misrepresented the word of God. We've misunderstood, misinterpreted, and thereby misinformed generations of people with biblical teaching that is in error. How did this happen? Well, it's simple. People are like cows on a hot day. They all shelter under only the only shade tree on the field. This is what has happened with our doctrinal approach concerning such things as grace, love, and faith, to name a few. What has the outcome been? Well, undisciplined, unrepentant, misadministered love, and frustration with the whole idea of grace, faith, and the blood. This has made the church grow weak in spirit, while it also made the church grow rich in finances. Big churches with little people. What do I mean? We have a big edifice, but the people who attend are absolute miniatures and small in spiritual understanding. Therefore, as the word of God said, my people die for lack of knowledge. Verse 16 and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Faith is both a defensive and an offensive weapon. This weapon allows us to not accept the lies, deception, and thievery of the devil. Faith maintains a connection with God that is able to resist the devil, draw nigh unto God, and see that the devil flees. Faith is the avenue that man uses to initiate and appropriate grace in the blood when the enemy attacks. From faith comes such things as healing, deliverance, preservation, safety, soundness, and wholeness. These are the appropriations of grace and the blood, and when formed in you, faith will bring them out of you. How do we do this? Well, we've learned truth and righteousness. We've learned that Jesus is truth. Now truth says, I am light. Truth says, I am life. Truth says, I am illumination. Truth says, I am grace, and I've shed my blood for you. I'm formed in you and have a habitation in you and have made you the righteousness of God because of what I've done to destroy the works of the devil. Now with this armor, you can speak faith into grace and the blood because you have received truth and righteousness and manifest those things that result in the healing power of God or whatever else your body or your world is manifesting a need for. Truth and righteousness work with faith to activate grace in the blood. Your need becomes met. So faith is the applicator 
and it becomes another work of God altogether. What have we seen so far? The Holy Spirit opened the avenue for truth and righteousness. The gospel of good news opened the avenue of peace. Faith now opens the avenue for overcoming the attacks of the devil. Now, is there more? Well, we're seeing a lot of things unfolding as we look at the armor, aren't we? But what we want to see here is, is that one piece alone is not enough. Just having truth and righteousness, our loins girt and a blessed breastplate is not enough because there was something else that had to be added to the armor to ensure that it was a whole array of articles put on that would cover all of the possibilities of attack. We've seen truth, righteousness, the gospel of good news, and now faith. Look at verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Huh. Now our mind gets covered by the six works of salvation. These six works are the dynamic works of the Yeshua that are all associated with the six works of the cross. I've told you that before, so I won't go into them right now. Then there is the sword of the Spirit. Now, now, now. This sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now here, we must identify that there is something special concerning the way that this is written. The sword of the Spirit is an offensive weapon. In it resides the words of life. Now many read the scripture and say, I don't understand it, I don't get it, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm not talking about people that are illiterate. I'm talking about well-learned and well-educated people because they're reading it out of their intellect. Therefore, there have been many who have translated scriptures to try to help the reader understand it better. And this seems like it is good and it would make sense to help make the word easier to read, wouldn't you say? Well, my friend, here's the issue. The word is spirit-spoken. The word is spirit-directed. Therefore, the word is spirit-revealed. If you never walk in the Spirit and you never live in the Spirit, your access to understanding a word that is a sword of the Spirit is almost impossible. Now you can pull this and pull that, hear someone say this and hear someone say that. The truth of the matter is you can parrot what someone else says. But without the divine revelation of the word that comes from the Spirit of God, it will not operate and function in you as it was designed to. The word is spirit. It is spoken. And the word is spirit directed. So if we never walk in the spirit, we will never touch the center of what the spirit is telling us in the word of God. This, my friend, is an alive spiritual book. It's not a novel. It's not war and peace. 
It's a book that must be assessed and understood using spiritual revelation. If we attempt to do it any other way, it's a dull book. It's a book of do's and don'ts. It's a book of rules. Why? Because there is no spiritual revelation concerning the intent of the content. The Word of God is alive. How do we know it? Because Paul refers to it as a sword, so it can be wielded. Then he speaks of it as a spirit. So then, not only can it be wielded, but it can be wielded using spiritual abilities. These two involve a work of the Spirit. He will protect your mind through the phases of salvation. He will protect your mind through the revelation that comes from the alive Word of God. Now are we seeing the work of the Holy Spirit in the same frame as we did in truth and righteousness? Uh Uh-uh. No, no. We see him operating through the alive breath of life that is the Word of God. So in what part of the Word of God does he work? Now this is the big question. Well, he works in the Gospels, in Jesus, you know, all of those miracles, things that Jesus did that amazed people. He worked in the epistles in Paul, you know, all of those wonderful works that Paul did, right down to praying over a handkerchief and having his shadow cross the park from people and they were healed. Well, he works in the book of Acts through the church. He works in the books written by the apostles. If you said all of this, of course you would be correct. Now watch it here. So where and when is his work relegated to only one thing in the Word of God? When and where did he cease his involvement with the church? When and where did he stop administering himself to the church? When and where did he stop administering himself through the church? When and where did Jesus stop using him to comfort the church? When and where was he called by Jesus to shut down his ministry to the believer? When and where did the teachings of Jesus from John 14 to 17 cease to exist as a functional opportunity and advantage to anyone who would believe? You'll not locate any of these instances, my friend, in the New Testament. And the scripture that they tell you in 1 Corinthians 13, that they would say, this is where this stopped. I'm going to show you in just a second. That's also a facetious lie. The church served to be the ones to cause his ministry to stop. Of this, we as a church should be ashamed by placing self-imposed limits and boundaries on the activity of the Holy Spirit. This is what we've done. We have released the world of darkness to have no hinderer, to have no one in the spirit world to stand up against them. So powers, principalities, and powers 
They have access into places that were a closed door based upon the work of Jesus. He being the champion of heaven, hell, and earth was given control over these areas. Now he designed a means to ensure that his people maintained the connection to the power that raised him from the dead as we read in Ephesians 1. That connection he would give them through the release of the Holy Spirit. Now think a second. If we received all that the Holy Spirit had to offer when he got when we got saved, then why does Christ not rule in our lives? Why is there no illumination of a guiding light in the lives of those who say they believe? Why has the demonic overrun the families of believers? And within the families of those who believe have children who they say believe, but yet they are addicted, oppressed, living in depression, and all other kinds of means of depravity. Why are we still living broken, bruised, poor, blind, and held in bondage? Paul's writing in Ephesians 6 opens the door to the necessity of a combination of spiritual operations that must be utilized to protect the believer. We do not know them. We do not teach them, and therefore we do not understand them. From there we have the five B's that Jesus spoke of in Luke 4. That Jesus came and was anointed by the Holy Spirit to eradicate from the lives of every believer and bring you into the acceptable year of the Lord. But we live in a condition of being overthrown in the spiritual world and do not consider it possible. We think that we do not now do the things that we once did when we got saved, so since we don't do those old things, that we must be okay and be living in a condition known as being saved, never considering the new influences of inroads that have come into our soul. Those inroads dethrone the Son of God and dismiss the work of the Spirit. Now watch. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all preservance and supplication for all saints. Praying in the Spirit. Why is that? Paul is clear on this. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 1 and 2. Now watch what he says here. Follow after charity. Now in one scripture he says, charity never fails. Tongues are going to fail, prophecy is going to fail, and knowledge is going to pass away. What did he lead it with? Love. Love is never going to fail. Follow after love. Seek love. Walk in love. Why? Because love is never going to retract itself from the pathway of man. Love is never going to leave the pathway of mankind. When Jesus comes and takes his people out of here and the Holy Ghost leaves this world, then love will be retracted from the earth. There is when you're going to see all of the demonic power of hell released upon mankind. But if we follow love and follow charity and follow the way 
of the man we know who is love, what we're going to find about following love is that it will never fail. Prophecy in love are not going to fail. Tongues in love are not going to fail. But my friend, there's going to come a day when we're not going to need tongues, prophecy, or knowledge. Why? Because we're going to be in the image of him, fashioned into his glorious image, and sharing his domain with him in heaven for not just eternity, but as everlasting life. We're not going to need this one day. We're not going to need to have the ability to have the advantage over the inroads of the devil. We need it now. We are living in the place and time where the application of this advantage is given to us because he loves us. That's why he gave it to you. Because he loved you. And he knew that the enemy of your soul was going to be attacking you. And he said, with every temptation, I'm going to make a way of escape. How's he going to do it? He's going to make a way of escape through his love. What did his love offer you? He said, follow my love. And it will bring you in to the desirous effect of having spiritual gifts. He said, with those spiritual gifts, of course, I'd rather you prophesy if you're going to speak in public. Then he said, for he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the, in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Here we see Paul speaking concerning the ministry of love. Now you must understand that. Paul is not speaking first off on the gifts of the Spirit as the directive. He is speaking from the directive of love. Love leads you into the Spirit realm. Love transports you into the Spirit realm. Love transforms you into the Spirit realm. What did he say? Follow love. Love will take you where you need to go. If love doesn't take you there, you don't need to go there. But Paul is very clear. Follow love. The path of love will take you into the advantage. If you will just follow the thing that you talk about all the time and stop intellectualizing it, and trying to say, well, love is this and love is that. And my friend, follow the love of God. Follow the pattern of love. How do we know that? Well, we follow the pattern of love in Jesus Christ. What did he say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The pattern of love then placed upon him, the pattern of love, placed upon him the dove of the Holy Spirit. That's the pattern of love. Who those whom he love, he places upon them the pattern that brings them into the gifts that are engaged with the Spirit. Paul is speaking here 
of the ministry of love. When he speaks of this ministry of the love of God, he follows it by saying this pattern should make you desirous of gifts because love desires that you be clothed and armed with the necessity of equipment that will allow you to stand and withstand the wiles and the inroads or the influences that come from principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in high places. When did we begin to think? I don't know. It makes no sense to me that we can do battle in the spiritual realm using our natural side. Whenever we did it, my friend, that was a most inaccurate thought. So the message here begins with why we should be desirous of the advantage of the Spirit because it is a gift of love. For God so loved you that he gave a personal release of his promise to you that you would be endued with power from on high. He did that, my friend, because he loved you. And he knew that just as Jesus needed the operation of the Spirit, you would need it as well. This is nothing more or less than a gift of love. You need to understand that. If you reject it, Listen to what you're doing. You are rejecting the love of God. Now, I've often said you are rejecting the voice of Jesus. Now we have gone further to find that if you reject the gifts, you are rejecting the very love pattern of God and the very promise of that love pattern. Why would you accept his love in partiality? His love was for the world. His love was for his people. Because he loves you, he provided for you a promise that will bring you into the supernatural. This is what love does, my friend. It saves you, it sanctifies you, and it fills you with the Spirit to bring you into the supernatural. Now when we pray, we pray in power. We are protected by an article that is directly linked to the Father. My friend, this is great. Because in the spirit when we pray, we may not know how to pray as we ought. Sometimes we get caught up in our feelings, thoughts, or even our own desires. But when we pray in the spirit, we pray in the love pattern of God, we go to a place that's outside of all of those natural concerns. He knows what we need and he knows the will of God. They there coordinate the answer. Now when we reject this love, we reject the means of support. Without that support, we have no covering. We pray and our prayers are consumed by what we see, hear, feel, and think in our natural side. We can cry, beat, threaten, and holler, but in our natural side, we've gone absolutely as far as we can possibly go. We weaken ourselves with effort and frustrate ourselves with little or nothing that comes about from our prayer. We then begin to try to find something positive about our situation. This, my friend, does not reflect the words of Jesus. We should stop and think on this. He said he would not leave you comfortless. He would come to you. But because we reject his teaching and we reject the love of God, the love plan and the love pattern of God, he has 
no avenue to do so. Now wait, you say, there is still the scripture. Well, we'll pick that up next time when we come back for session four of how the gifts of the Spirit produce an advantage. Father, minister to your word and minister to your people in Jesus' name. Find him as Lord. You'll find that everything that has a a name, you can lay at his feet as the plunder of this world. But if you find him as the man in the Godhead, he will speak and he will show you the love pattern of God. And from that love pattern, he will lead you, guide you, and direct you, show you things to come, and give you things to speak. May God richly bless you until we have the chance to speak again.